Father, Lord, that's where our hearts yearn for. There's a deep calling out, Lord, to the deep, and there's a deep to respond. Lord Jesus, we surely love you so much. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Lord, the, the, the prophet said, come, the spirit said, come, and the bride says, come. Jesus, we long for you. It's so good just to be in your house, just to get a little taste, Lord, of what it's like. The soberness of this presence, Lord. Just can't wait for these doors of clay just to burst open, Lord, and it just spill out. Father, it no longer restrict us, Lord, for how we long to worship you in spirit and in truth without any restriction of our mortal bodies. Father, we just love you and we want to adore you. And we pray tonight, you come and just feast, Lord, with us, Lord Jesus. Feed our souls, O oh God. We have a need of you in this midweek service, Lord. We know we didn't come to see man or even to see one another, though we truly love one another, Lord. But, Father, we came for you. We ask that you come, Lord, and just meet every need. You see every heart that's here represented, Lord Jesus, and I pray you go to those, Lord, that are streaming in, Lord. Those that have a need, Lord, that they want to be here in this church, Lord. That they want to meet, they want to be in your presence like this. Father, be with them, Lord. Lord, and those that have gathered here, Lord God, may you come in our midst, Lord. Go down each pew, Lord Jesus. Fill every empty seat, Lord. May there be angels round about. We love you so much, and we just commit this service into your hands. As it's been prayed, help me just to get myself aside, Lord, that you could, you could come and speak above and beyond what we ever thought. We just commit it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Let's take our Bibles together. Certainly want to say welcome once more. Every time we gather together, it feels like maybe the last time I can say welcome to the house of the Lord. And the next one that can say welcome will be the saints on the other side saying welcome home. Wouldn't that just be nice? Amen. Even saying that would be nice sounds a very downplaying of how it would be. Amen. Sure is good to see each of you. Love you all. 
Amen. Let's take our Bibles, turn with us to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. We'll just read one verse here. Though we could read several, we'll just read one short verse. Thank you, Brother Ray, for the song service. That was something in your spirit just enjoys that. Amen. Verse 21 says, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Amen. May the Lord have blessing to the word. You may have your seats. Amen. As I said, perhaps we could read the other scriptures about laying up treasures in heaven and where moth and dirt doesn't corrupt, but really it comes down to this scripture tonight as I want to speak on the value of worship. And I want to take this as for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And a treasure is something that an individual considers of great value. And to everyone that's different. Everyone has a different treasure that they're looking for, something that they consider of great value. To some, they consider money of great value, and they will do everything for that. To some, they will consider a family of great value, and they will do everything for that because it's of value to them, and they'd rather give all their money to family because money isn't of value, but family is. To others, there's different things that is of value to them, and that to them is the treasure. That is what is precious to them indeed. But, but now I just want to take for an example, perhaps one you could say, well, my treasure is, or someone's treasure is, is money, but even in that, it goes in several different ways. So I just want to lay a, a foundation and just start out maybe slower tonight, and we'll see where the Lord leads. But we could take money as an example and say one person, their, their, their treasure or their value in money is money in the bank where they want to see a lot of numbers in a bank account, and they want to see that that to them is of value to that individual. And you couldn't convince them any other way. To another one, they would say, no, you have to take that money, and you got to put it into gold or some other mineral, silver or something like that. To them, that's real value. Even though it's the same money, it's the same time that labored to get the money, it's the same deal that made the money, but in the end, somebody's value is in a different place. Another one might take and say, no, the real value is in real estate. You really got to invest your money in real estate. It would be a much more value that way. And they would have their argument for that. And another one would say, no, you need it in stock. You need to buy stocks. And another one would say, no, you need to buy it in cryptocurrency. And they would put their value in a different way. But all of it is all down to the same thing. It all comes from the same money no matter where you put it. But to everybody, they've got a treasure that to them is more important. Than the, than the other one, even though really it came from the same piece of paper. And it came from the same amount of time that you spent to make the same amount of money. And in the end, where you put it is because of the bias of your mind into what you think is the best place. Or to where I think is the best place. And I'm just using this as a, as a very basic example. Because I believe that none of our treasure here tonight is in money. Amen. All right. I was fishing for an amen there. <laughs> None of our treasure here is in money. 
We've got a greater treasure. But, but now, all of these arguments could be made to where it would be better spent or where it would be better, but it is simply based on our biases. And, and, and there's, there's, there was, at one time, just to get into value a little bit more, there was three wise men that came. As we're getting into the Christmas season, here's my Christmas part of my message. There was three wise men that came to the Lord Jesus, and we know that by the time he got there, it wasn't the baby Jesus, it was the toddler Jesus. But in all of that, they brought with them something of value. One of them bought gold, one frankincense, and one myrrh. And they all had their, their thing that was to them of great value. It was because of their biases that they had three different things. They didn't all bring gold. But God had made them in such a way that it brought something that represented deity and service unto death. But they didn't recognize it at the time. To them, one said, gold is more valuable. If I'm going to go see this new king, I think gold would be the best. And the next one says, myrrh would be the best because that's where my money is more valuable. And the other one says, no, frankincense. And they could argue the whole way two-year journey over which one had the better gift, even though they could have all cost the same amount. And maybe one had more and one had less because of gold maybe was more expensive than more. So they had a different amount or different this or different that. But it didn't matter in the end because it was for a purpose that God was trying to express. But in all of it, that was their value. But when they met Jesus, they seen a greater value. And to them, it wasn't look. I say, well, this gold is of value. They said, he's of greater value, so I'd rather give him what I brought, gave him the gift, because I consider him of greater value than what I currently have. Amen. And, and, and even then, they considered Jesus of so much value, they decided him worth more than the orders of King Herod. Because they had a king of the land, King Herod, that said, come and tell me where he is. And I'm sure that day, they knew, they were wise men. If you disobey the orders of a king, it could mean your life. It could be that simple. But to them, meeting Jesus and the safety of the coming Messiah was more valuable than even their own lives. It was a value to them that was greater than anything they currently possessed, including their own life. I want to seriously shift gears here for a minute. If we turn to 2 Kings, 2 Kings chapter 1, if you would. Second Kings chapter 1, we'll just start in verse 1. My text was short, so it will be long in this scripture. It says, And Moab rebelled against Israel after the death of Ahab. And Ahaziah fell down through a lattice in his upper chamber that was in Samaria and was sick. And he sent messengers and said to them, Go inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, whether I shall recover of this disease. That is quite the declaration that the king of Israel in Samaria would say, go inquire of a false god. But it says, but the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, arise, go up and meet the messengers of the king of Samaria and say unto them, is it not because there is not a god in Israel that ye go to inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron? 
Now therefore, thus saith the Lord, thou shalt not come down from that bed on which thou art gone up, but shalt surely die. And Elijah departed. The scripture, I always marvel at it to a certain degree because Ahab had a lot of trouble with Elijah. Nobody in that kingdom was more familiar than the household of Ahab with Elijah. And exactly what it was like to meet him when you didn't want to meet him. Such as the vineyard of Naboth. When he thought, I finally got a vineyard and he shows up and who's waiting for him there? Elijah. And now here his own son says, go inquire of him. Well, guess who shows up? Elijah. He says, hey, what are you doing? Is it because there's no God in Israel? He begins to put the question right in his face. Why are you doing what you're doing? Where are you putting your value that you would require or you would inquire at a false god rather than to come to the God of Israel, rather than to come? It's not because there isn't a God. There was a God. There was a prophet. There was a place to inquire of God. There was someone you could go to. There was an open vision in the land. But still he put his value in his own uh, uh, ego and his own thinking rather than to look and to humble himself. And the next verse says, And when the messengers turned back unto him, in verse 5, and he said unto him, Why are you turned back? He was well acquainted with those services. He knew they didn't come that short. And they said unto him, There came a man up to meet us, and said unto us, Go turn again to the king, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord, it is not because there is not, is it not because there is not a God in Israel that thou sendest to inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron. Therefore thou shalt not come down from that bed on which thou art gone up. Thou shalt surely die. And he said unto them, What manner of man was he which, he which came up to meet you and told you those words? And they answered and said, The most vague description you've ever heard. He was a hairy man and girt with a girdle of leather about his loins. And he was so acquainted, he said, that's Elijah. There was no doubt in his mind. If you told me he's a hairy man with a, no idea. But he was so well acquainted with it. He could have told you the message of Elijah inside, outside, upside, downside, but still he valued something else greater. That even when he said, what manner of man was this? Immediately he knew that's Elijah. That's the man that, yeah, you're right, I probably should have gone. The king said to him, cast him a 50, and with his 50, and he went up to him and said, he sat upon the top of a hill, and he spake unto him, thou man of God, the king has said, come down. And Elijah answered and said unto the captain of 50, if, if I be a man of God. Now, Elijah was not questioning it. Elijah was putting it to the test. Okay. If I be a man of God, then let fire come down from heaven and consume thee and thy 50. Now, there'd already been a Mount Carmel. There's terror in the hearts of these men as soon as he says, let fire. What? Too late. Your attitude was already wrong. You already came at me and said, the king requires you come down. I've got something of value. They were valuing the idea of the king. 
More than that of the prophet, they were saying, the king says, so you listen. He said, okay, if I be a man of God, let fire come down. And fire came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50. And the next verse, in verse 11, says it this way. And again, he sent up another captain of 50 and his 50. And he answered and said unto him, O man of God, thus saith the king, come down quickly. Now this man gets even more arrogant. The first one said, come down. The second one said, quickly. No offense, but sometimes I sound like that as a father. Maybe some other fathers do. Do it now. Don't just do it. Do it now. That's the way they go. I'm a man of authority here. Elijah, don't you know who I am? They had their value in a certain place. I'm a captain of 50. I'm under direct orders of the king. Do as you're told. And Elijah answered, said, if I be a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume thee and thy fifty. And the fire came down from heaven and consumed him and his fifty. And verse 13 says, and he sent again a captain, a third of the third fifty and his fifty. And the captain and the third captain of fifty went up and came and fell on his knees before Elijah. And besought him and said unto him, O man of God. So far he's got the same response. But it was a different attitude. Instead of saying, come on down quickly. Let's make a deal. Help me out here. I'm just trying to do my duty. No, he said, I pray thee. Let my life and the life of these 50 thy servants be precious in thy sight. In other words, he began to switch his values around. The first two looked at the king and said, the king is the man. But this one began to turn it around and realize there's a greater power at work here. And we can look at it today and we can do it. It says to do this and do this and do this. And we can listen and listen and listen and listen. But eventually it comes to a point. There's a greater spirit at work amongst the government. And there's a greater spirit at work amongst the church. And there's two spirits even working in the midst of the church right now. And it's up to us. It's up to the Holy Spirit to give us discernment to which is working in which direction. And in order to have the right attitude towards God so we would recognize the truth for our day and he came in this way said let my life be precious in thy sight he came in this certain way like Esther came to the king we said when she began to say if I have pleased thee would you come if I please thee would you grab my request we said let my life be precious in the life of my 50 be precious in thy sight let me have the right kind of an attitude to make sure my values are in the right place Because sometimes we can even approach God in the message that way where we approach it in a certain way where we say, I'm the bride of Christ, therefore come and do this for me. We can approach it that way and say, listen, I know who I am in the Word, therefore I have a right. Instead of approaching it in the right way, say, Lord, I pray thee, you are sovereign in all that you do. You owe me nothing. I am your bride, but I'm completely at your mercy because I love you because you first loved me. And I beg upon, I don't beg, but I look upon your mercy according to your word, and I'm just taking you at your word. Sometimes we want to misinterpret the scripture, don't we? Well, we got boldness. Yes, under the blood. 
to approach him. But as soon as we step out from behind that, where's our boldness? He says, behold, verse 14, there came fire from heaven and burnt up the 50 captains, the two captains in the former 50s with their 50s, and, and, and therefore let my life now be precious in thy sight. And the angel of the Lord said unto Elijah, go down with him. Be not afraid of him. Oh, hallelujah. And he arose and went down with him unto the king. And said unto him, thus saith the Lord. Did the message change? No. The king wasn't the one with his attitude. It was just a captain of 50. Someone that looked maybe to the king as insignificant. Well, definitely looked to the king as insignificant because he watched 50 and a captain go up, get consumed. Another 50 captain, and he said, you know what we'll do? Let's send another one up. They don't mean that much to me. It's just numbers in my army. But God looked on that man with grace. And his life was precious. But to the king, he still said, For as much as thou hast sent messengers to inquire of Beelzebub, the God of Ekron, is it not because there is no God of Israel to inquire of his word? Therefore thou shalt not come down off this bed where thou hast gone up, but thou shalt surely die. And he died according to the word of the Lord which Elijah had spoken, and Jehoram reigned in his stead. Amen. I want to take this in a different light as well. Because we're speaking tonight on the value of worship. And I'm going to also not use a lisp, but a word that sounds like it. Because there's another word that you could put in there that sometimes it gets mixed up with worship, and that is worth-ship. According to, I was doing some research and Forgive me, I did find that word from some theologians of days gone by, such as Wycliffe and different ones, but a word that is used called worth-ship, which they would take that from, the, from what Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 2, which says, Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues or in the streets, that they may have glory of man. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. See, this is the kind of worship that I'm referring to, where, where one would come with a desire so others would see how much they think God is worth to them. Versus what real worship is, when worship in reality, pure worship is to adore and to pay divine honors, to reverence with supreme respect, veneration, to honor with extreme sub submission, to perform acts of adoration and service unto. It's more than just words. It's more than just songs. It's more than just uh, raising of hands. It's, more, it's a life. It's an act. It's a submission. Worship is something like that, not just a worth-ship where you want people to see exactly how much it's worth to you. 
The scripture would say in Matthew 6, you know, when you give your alms, don't let your right hand know what your left hand's doing. Don't do it for show. Don't be doing it for show. Don't be worshiping for show. We have biases of worship. It's a Wednesday night, so we'll just teach it real slow. That if they don't worship like me, they're not worshiping right. I'll tell you, I'll tell you a story that is dear to my heart anyways, but it was sister in the church in, in Grand Prairie, she's passed on now, but when I was very, very young, I was about 12 or 13, not yet filled with the Holy Ghost, but spiritually minded and trying to be. And uh, I remember talking to my dad about this sister, and I said, you know, doesn't it bug you the way she worships? <laughs> How arrogant does that sound? You know, she just raises her hands like this all the time. That's all she ever does. I said, you know, when you worship God, you ought to be just Worship God. It's, he's God. He's worth everything, all of our energy. We ought to just throw up our hands and just let him know. Sing it with all of our hearts. And her, I can't even hear her sing. And she just, you know, that's all she ever does. And she needs a revelation of worship. You know, I was kind of surprised. My dad's response was, oh, that's nice. You know, he just, got, he just had grace for her. And, you know, it's all right. That's sometimes that's all people can do. And I said, well, okay. It was years later. I was preaching there in the church. And I thought, for years, I was actually praying for her because I thought she needed a revelation of worship. So I was praying for her, Lord, give her a revelation of worship. Give her a revelation. Let her set her free. That began to be my prayer. Lord, just set her free. I don't, I don't know what's bothering her. I don't know what's going on. And I had no idea that it was actually her shoulder. She couldn't actually raise her hands. She didn't need a revelation of worship. She needed a revelation of healing. And God was so gracious to me that while I was preaching, she just threw up her hands like this and started praising and her shoulders were healed while I was preaching. While the word was going forth, she received the revelation of healing right there in her shoulders. And I thought, she finally got it. Then she told me the testimony afterwards. And I went, oh, Lord. My discernment was way off track. I thought she did this, but she needed that. But in the end, my prayers were, Lord, just set her free. And that was enough to get her to a place where God was gracious enough so that I could be the preacher to stand there where she could catch it and receive her healing. But it wasn't because she wasn't doing this because of worship. She wasn't interested in people seeing how much, but she wanted to worship so bad that even though she couldn't raise her arms, she was raising them as much as she could the whole time. Oh, God, give me more grace for, for more people that I would recognize that. But, but we have certain biases in that way where we think if they don't do it the way we do it, they're not doing it right. And listen, while they sat in the upper room, Brother Branham would talk about it, say, well, they sat there on the day of Pentecost. They were sitting, waiting, and the Holy Ghost fell. In another, in another places, I just want to show you this quickly, where it said Jesus, was, Jesus had the greatest anointing. And, and he would talk about in Luke chapter 4 and 21, he's saying, he began to say unto them after reading the book of Isaiah, this day the scriptures fulfilled in his ears. And all bear him witness and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? It was saying in the verse previous to that, that after he read it, he gave the scroll back and he went and he... Sat down. Saying that this day, I'm anointed. This day it's fulfilled. This day, this is what's happening. And he sat down and just gracious words proceeded. And they begin to wonder. 
I'm going to say some things, so just stay with me. Because it's not about a bias of you got to do the way I do it. Because uh, you've heard the statement, if you knew what I knew, you'd be shouting too. Really? If God did for you what he did for me, you'd be shouting too. Let me tell you, God did for me what he did for you, but I ain't you. So I'm going to react differently than you. Even though it's the same worship. Because there's something in my heart. Because God looks on the heart of man. God looks on your heart and sees whether it's pure, whether it's worship, or whether it's worship. Whether it's something that you and your heart can say, Lord, this is what I got. Whether it's somebody at the front that pulls an amen and they're as loud as they can be. And it's wonderful. And as a preacher, I like that. Because it tells me that they're pulling. But they're not pulling any harder than the sister that's sitting over there that hardly says a word. But she's intently listening. And she's pulling with everything that she has, but it's not in her makeup to jump up and shout. But sometimes we place our value, instead of in the words that are spoken into what's received, we place our value in what the response was. We place our value in who really got it by who said amen the loudest. We place our value in who was singing the most or whether they're not singing. Are there something bothering them? Is something going on? It could be. But sometimes we read into those things so much, we place so much value on that, we forget that God looks on the hearts of men. And he's looking on the individual to see the pureness of the worship that's coming from you, not to see the show. He said, Andrew, are you preaching this so we can all be quiet and not stand up and shout again? No, I'm preaching it to free you. So that you don't feel the need to put on a show. But if that's what's in your heart. That you need to because it's made real to you. That how you worship God is by standing on your feet. Raising your hands. Shouting amen as loud as you can. I'm going to suggest you do that. Because if that's what God's revealed to you. That that's how you need to worship. Then you best do it because that's your revelation. Well, I'm here now, so I'm going to say it. Let's not all go out and get Christmas trees now. It's okay. Just because Brother Ed preached on Sunday morning, I, well, it's for the kiddies. If it's real in your heart to not have a Christmas tree, right? Then that shouldn't change your mind. Because then you'd be doing it because, well, the pastor said but what's real to you? The message also says that sisters should wear skirts to cover their knees. But if it's real to you, it should go to the floor. Wear it to the floor. And don't despise a sister that wears it past the knee. Because that's her revelation. I I really didn't want to preach this tonight, okay? I feel like Brother Moses is saying, I didn't want to. (laughs) You can stand on one side of worship and say, shouting and carrying on doesn't belong in the house of God. You can stand way over in that side that you're so far in the ditch you're in a rut. Or you can stand so far over on the other side you're in the ditch on a rut where you say, if you ain't shouting and preaching, it just ain't Holy Ghost preaching. You're in another rut on the other side. If there ain't dancing in the church, P. 
People don't want shouting because they don't want the Holy Ghost preaching. Really? You're in another rut. Why don't we come back to the middle here and recognize that God works on the individual. And the same sister that might one service be sitting there not making a single noise, the next service something strike her and her jump up. The same sister that sat there for years with her hands like this as much as she could, finally something strikes her in her heart and she pushes up her hands and begins to praise the Lord and God heals her. Why? Because something struck. And she had that Holy Ghost the whole time, but it was a different revelation that said, now's the time. And I'll be honest with you, neither biases are correct. If, oh my. Romans chapter 12, if you turn me to Colossians chapter 3. While you're turning to Colossians chapter 3, I put Romans chapter 12 up, up, on, the, up on the screen. So Romans chapter 12 says this way, Let love be without dissimulation. Don't be playing favorites. Don't be, I love that person, but you know, behind their back. Adhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affectionate one to another with brotherly love. In honor, preferring one another. Oh my. Be kindly affectionate one to another with brotherly love. Say it when their brother said it to me one time. That might sound kind of mushy gushy, and it kind of is. But that's what the capstone of the divine love is coming down to brotherly love. You might get it that way where it sounds like, well, I mean, maybe I don't really want to. I'm kind of a strong man that just kind of, I don't know. Prefer one another in honor. I'd rather my brother, I'd rather my sister. God bless them. Where's your value? Do we put enough value in the atonement to properly worship him? It was the man that started, that was largely responsible for starting the Welsh revival that said when he really got the Holy Ghost, he began to recognize his need for it because he realized, I could look and gaze upon the cross with a dry eye. I thought, my, how many times do we sit there and gaze upon the cross with a dry eye? What's he saying? He's saying without emotion. Because anything without emotion is dead. It's not that we need emotion in everything, but without emotion, it's dead. Now you've got to be bawling your eyes all the time or shouting and screaming all the time. But no, without emotion, it's dead. If you can look at it and you can ponder, in other words, if you can ponder upon the atonement, if you can ponder upon Isaiah 53, if you can read that and think upon those things, how he died for you, was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and oh, how he was bruised for our iniquity, chastising our pieces upon him. By his stripes, we are healed. And please, God, if you can look upon that and not have an ounce of emotion, you need to go back to the original. You need to go back and get an experience with God. You need to go back to the Lord. You need to go back on your knees. You need to say, Lord, come to me. 
I need a fresh anointing. I need a fresh touch because something about what died for me isn't moving me anymore. I've become hardened and callous by the things of the world. I don't place enough value in it because you watch someone that places their value in money take it all away. You'll see some emotion. They might even jump out a window. It's happened. That's right. You take someone that they got all their value in that money, 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 money. All of a sudden it's all gone and depression and all of these things. And it's, it's a ride up and down and all around. Why? Because their value was in that. But if you take it, you say, my value is in the cross, but I don't feel anything towards it. Your value is not there. I know this is hardened. The value of the word of God by definition is priceless. By definition, you can't put a value on it. You can't say it's worth X amount of dollars. You can buy a Bible for X amount of dollars, but what's written on those pages and what ought to be written in our hearts is priceless. But really, the value of it is determined by the attitude of the individual. You determine in your own life what the value of the atonement is. You determine by the way you live the value of the word of God. You determine by those words that you speak the value of the promises. Now we're at Colossians chapter 3. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, not on things of the earth. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. If your treasure is in heaven, like we sang this song, it was so fitting, the hills of home keep calling me. It's something that's just calling me. Why? Because my treasure is there. My heart is there. Everything I long for is there. I don't have anything here. Say, but Andrew, you got a family, young kids. Yeah, they're going with me. God gave them to me. He's able to take care of them. I ain't going there without them anyways. That's called the rapture. It says, for ye are dead, and for your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall we also appear with him in glory. Now he begins to get real serious. Mortify. Therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, obviously, uncleanness, okay, obviously, inordinate affection, okay, evil concupiscence, that is to be filled with evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. That's quite a thought. If you carry on, he says, For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in the which you also walk some time when you live in them. We were all born in sin, right? We all walked that way at one point. But now you also put off all these. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, Filthy communication out of your mouth. Oh my. Lie not one to another, 
seeing you have put off the old man with his deeds. The Bible says, be kindly affectionate one to another with brotherly love and honor preferring one another. He takes the exact opposite here. He says, don't lie to one another. Don't get caught in those things. Where's your value? The Bible says, Jesus says, you love me, you love one another. By this shall all men know you are my disciples, that you have love one for another. It's by that love one for another that people can see there's something different about them. They're not out there looking for their own gain, but rather they're looking on the things of others. Right? You know, brotherly love always sounds so... It sounds so soft. When you really get down to preaching it, it's a little harder. Because brotherly love is about living for others. In other words, it's bringing yourself in submission. It's living a life of worship to God. That in worship for Him, you're giving your all for someone else. How are we doing for time? Are we doing okay? It says, and have put on the new man. Hallelujah. Which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision. There's not a barbarian or Scythian. There's bond nor free. But Christ is all in all. That's brotherly love. Where you begin to look at, you say, no, it doesn't matter if you're colored or if you're white. It doesn't matter if you're bond or if you're free. It doesn't matter, in other words, if you're for, uh, the, the middle class, the low class, or the upper class. It doesn't matter if you're living under poverty or if you've got millions of dollars in the bank. That's not where my value is. If you put on the new man, it's a whole different, forgive me for saying it this way, ball game. You've joined a different league. He says, put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy. Bowels is something that gives out. Mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another. And forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And we love to quote the words of Peter. How often should I forgive my brother? In a day, 70 times 7. I don't even talk to any one individual that much. Including my wife. That I would need to forgive them 70 times 7. In other words, there is nothing, there is no reason for you to sit there and not forgive. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. If they've done something that bad, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. He says, and above all these things, put on the capstone, charity, which is the bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body. Now 1 Peter in verse 1 and 18, I don't know if I gave you the scripture or not, says this, 
It says, for as much as you know that we are not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold, from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers. <laughs> you weren't redeemed by that. But with the precious blood of Christ, as of the lamb without blemish and without spot. So in other words, he begins to say, we were not redeemed by silver or gold. We know that. Neither were we redeemed by the conversation received by tradition from your fathers. Now catch this. Even if you're raised in the message and your father by tradition taught you what was right. And he raised you in the right way. And he raised you according to the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Still, that does not redeem you. But rather, by the precious blood of Jesus, as of the Lamb, without blemish and without spot, for verily it was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times to you, who by him do believe in God, that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God. So what are we redeemed by? We know this. We're redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus, yet we will look to and we will value and we will honor other things greater than that. He goes on to say, seeing verse 22, this is 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. Danny, if you... So seeing that ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren. So where did the, the Spirit lead you into all truth into? Unfeigned love of the brethren. Seeing that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God which liveth and abideth forever, for all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of grass. It's a little better, the flower at least. It still withers and die. You see any grass out there right now? No, okay. Me neither. It says, and the flower thereof falleth away. The grass withereth and the flower falleth away. But the word of the Lord endureth forever. This is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. I'm going to bring out one more thing and then we'll wrap it up with that. As Jeremiah would say in Jeremiah chapter 8 and verse 22, as we read in first, Second Kings chapter 1, is there not a God in Israel? And Jeremiah would say, is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then is not the health of, my of the daughter of my people recovered? Now, this is just Wednesday night to the local church, and I hope it's okay for you. But we, can, we like to quote quotes, and we like to say, well, God heals through doctors. God uses doctors, that's true. God also heals through music. That's also true. 
And we love to make sure that we balance out healing with such quotes. But we place a lot of value in those. Even though there's a few times the prophet mentions them, and you got to really look for them and know what you're looking for. I would hazard a guess there's a lot of us in this room that if we went into the table right now and just typed in our first guess, we wouldn't come up with hardly anything. Specifically, or we come up with a list of a thousand quotes and we try and narrow it down. <laughs> That's what I did the first time. I thought, I'm just going to type in heels music and it's just nothing really. God heals through doctors. Nothing. You got to really search and look and find to find those things. Yet, from 1947 to 1965, every single service, every single recorded service, there was a testimony or an admonition or an act of divine healing simply through faith in God. Yet because of the bias of our humanity, built up by the popular opinion of our day, we place a lot of value, a lot more, I'll say, than we ought to, in the obscurity of a statement while tripping over the simplicity of God. You still with me? All right. We'll go after the obscurity and say, well, I'm justifying going to the doctor. I'm justifying. There's nothing wrong with going to the doctor. It's good. The Brown says he prays for doctors and he prays for hospitals. He prays for those things almost daily. Why? Because he prays that God will give them wisdom to do what they're doing. And a good doctor is used of God. However, we want to put so much value in that to justify what we're doing when we forget that the entire message, every single message, there's healing just simply based on someone had faith to come to God and believe for their healing, whether it was while the preaching was going on, whether it was in the prayer line, whether it was discernment, no matter what it was, somebody had faith and somebody got healed. I'll even take it a step farther. Revelation 22 and 2 says this, In the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, was there the tree of life, and it bare twelve manners of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. But the Bible would take that and say it was a, was a memorial to divine healing. Notice God put so much value in the attribute of being a healer, he put an eternal memorial to that attribute. Yet nowhere in the scripture is there a memorial to medicine. We've made one to it. We paste it on the side of every ambulance, the front of every hospital. And it was something that, that a king in the Bible took and ground into fine dust because people worshipped it. The brazen serpent of Moses. But God put so much value in that that he put a memorial for all of eternity. That he said, I am a healer. Even when there is no more sickness, there'll be no more sickness, no more sorrow, no more need for that attribute to be pulled upon. But still he put so much value on it that he put himself a memorial there for all of eternity that when the nations of the earth brought their goods and their glory into the city, they took out with them these leaves as a memorial of divine healing. That's where our God put value. Value. 
trying to bring you to a realization tonight. What do you consider of value? Would you be a wise man that considered the value of the promised Messiah greater than your own life? Would you be a third, the third captain that would have value in the prophet more than the king? That had value in the word of God more than the word of the king? Would you or would you rather be the king who considers the gods of the world and the places greater value and places greater value in science of today than in God? Where is your value? I'm not talking about worship. Where it's a show where you come to church and, Amen, Brother Andrew! I got value in God! But all day long it's search about this and search about that and search about this and search about that. What's the greatest economic? What's the greatest medicine? What's the greatest this? What's the greatest that? What's the latest conspiracy? What's going on in the news today? We're talking about real worship. A life of submission. Where it's not a show, but it's in the private of your own bedroom when it's something that you're there with God saying, oh God, let me be pleasing to you. Let the places that I spend my money be pleasing to you. Let the places I go with my feet be pleasing to you. Let the things I listen to with these ears be pleasing to you. Let the things that I see with these eyes be pleasing to you. Let the things that come out of this mouth not be evil speaking, but rather let it be pleasing to God. As Brother Michael prayed tonight, Lord, there's a blood, and forgive me where I've gone wrong. He says this, Branham says in the message, why? He says, now we wonder that tonight, why? Is there, a, is there no Bible? Is there no God? Is there no difference? If God is going to bring a people to judgment, he has got to have something to judge them by. He's got to have some standard. If he's going to judge them by the Catholic Church, right, then if we judge them by the Roman Church, the Greeks is lost. The Catholic Churches would be lost. If we judge them by the Greek, the Romans lost. If we judge them by the Lutheran, the Methodist lost. If we judge them by the Methodist, the Lutherans lost. We can't judge it by that way. If we judge it by... Oh my, you can put so much in there. It says, but God will judge the world. He said by Jesus Christ... And Jesus Christ is the Word, and the Word is God, and He will judge them by this Bible, for this is the Word, this is God's standard, we must measure up to what the Bible says. And if we wonder why we got so much confusion, so many organizations, so much differences separating brotherhood. That's against everything we read tonight. Brotherly love and wandering one another and loving one another, lifting up one another in prayer, doing all of those things. But he says that religion has got to such confusion, organizing, separating it. It's because there's no, is it because there's no bomb in Gilead? Is it because there's no physician there? I wonder if God would ask us that question. It wasn't exactly they didn't have a physician, they did. God was that physician. It wasn't because there wasn't a God in Israel that Elijah went and said those things. There was a God. They had a prophet to consult to find out what these things are. But it is the king's own stubborn will. And that's exactly, that's what's the matter with the nation today. The people's own stubborn will. 
Not because we don't have the same God that crossed the Red Sea with his people that led them 40 years in the wilderness. It's not because we don't have the same God we had at the beginning. It's the people's own stubborn way. They don't want to bow down. They don't want to have anything to do with the holiness and purity of living, the Bible way of living. They would rather belong to church, put their name on a book, live like the rest of the world, or live any way they want to, than to bow down to the promises and the commandments of Almighty God. That's what's the matter today. That's the reason things are going the way they are. People get away from the Word. You'll never be able to get straightened out till you get back onto the right path. My, that's exactly the truth. You say, Brother Andrew, you're preaching that to a message church. Yeah, but we can get stuck in our stubborn ways. We can get so bent on our biases till we begin to look at someone in another church, you're going to say, oh, it's just terrible. Don't like the way their church is, don't like their pastor, don't like this, don't like that, and you got no business worrying about it. You're not a part of that church. It just brings you down and down and down and down and down. When in reality, you ought to have love. One for another. Maybe you're praying for those. Pray for the ones that are in your church. Pray for the brother or sister. Look to the one to your right right now. Look to the one to your left right now. Pray for that individual. Remember them in prayer. Maybe that one needs a job, and that's why they're coming to church. They got their head down a little bit. They're a little bit ashamed. Maybe that one needs something else. Maybe they're looking at it, and they've got a little healing need. And you don't know about it because they don't want to mention it. Pray for them. First Samuel chapter 3 and verse 1 would say, And the child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli. At the word of the, for the word, and the word of the Lord was precious in those days, for there was no open vision. Now, I want to take this for a minute, if, we, if you would, and we'll, we're going to try and wrap it up here. Yeah, I'm going to wrap it up. But, but, but here's Samuel, and he's ministering before the Lord. And in that day, there was no open vision. Therefore, the word of the Lord was precious. Things become more precious when they become more rare. It's just the way it is. I was just reading about the, the Toyota GTR 2000 something something. There's only 351 of them made. They're worth over a million dollars each, and they're not a pretty car. They're ugly, I'm going to be honest with you. And I like Toyotas. But it is not a pretty car, but because it's rare. It's worth a lot of money. There's a lot of value placed in it. It was so rare that one of them was completely crashed and ruined because a tree fell on it and it was totally toast. And the guy said, I'm going to restore it. And the other car, he would have said, throw it in the garbage. Give me the insurance money. But because it was so rare. That's the way it was with the word of God. I don't mean to type it to a car. But rather that the word of God was so rare, there was no open vision, that it was so precious in those days. But now we're back to a time when there is a hungering and a thirsting. 
There's a cry, there's a famine in the land for spiritual food. But we've been given spiritual food in due season. We've had a prophet. I've got all kinds of quotes here, but I don't have time to go into them all. We've got a prophet that came and he he was used of God to do what? Store up spiritual food in due season. There was a vision that he had that there was all these big old carrots and all these things he was putting in the granary. He was storing them up. Why? Because it was something to say, there's an open vision. There's a God. There's a bomb. There's someone here that's here to meet all of your needs. Don't let it become so common that it loses its precious value. That we just, it's another time in church. It's just Wednesday night. I don't think I'll go. I'm tired. Let's stand to our feet. It ought to be the most precious thing we have. That God himself died for us. God himself went down to hell. Conquered death, hell, and the grave for you. He bled it on the cross. He wept in the garden of Gethsemane. Great teardrops of, sweat drops of blood. The anguish, the pain, all of these things, it ought to be so precious to us that he did all of that to bring a reality, to confirm the resurrection, to bring it about so that all of these promises live. And yet we'll read it. He's the healer of all my sicknesses and diseases. I think I best go to the doctor. I'm not preaching against doctors. I'm just saying, where's your value? What are we placing our value in? I thank God for all they've done. I I could point to different ones sitting in this church that they've been instrumental in. One's recently, Brother Marion, for example. He was in a hospital. He was on a vent. You weren't on a ventilator. You were on oxygen, right? Yeah. The doctors were there doing the best they could, and he just kept a good atmosphere around him, a good attitude. Kept serving the Lord. But he wasn't looking to them saying, Doctor, heal me. Because the Lord is my healer. Don't you love the Lord? Sorry if it was hard. I didn't mean to hurt anybody. But it's the truth. We need to put our value in what's real. The word that came to get us ready for our rapture. Something that came to bring us up into rapturing faith. If we can't have faith for healing, how can we have faith for a rapture? If we can't have faith, we need to have, we need to be in the word of God day and night. We need to be in our affection, be set on things above. We need to be studying the word. That's what we ought to be. And you want to take some time out and get away and recharge, do it with a Bible, a church-age book, a seal book. Hide yourself away and study those with all your heart. That'll recharge you. He loves you. And I do too. Love one another. Amen. Why don't we sing that little chorus? I love him. I love him because he first loved me. 
and purchase my salvation on Calvary's tree. Oh, I love you. Oh, I every head bowed and mine included, if you just want to say, Lord, I need to put more value in you. I've kind of been distracted this way and that way, and maybe I've had a bias in my mind of how things ought to be. Forgive me, Lord. Help me just to look to you, Lord, and just get in a place where it's just me and you alone, God, and not be worried about what's happening to the right or the left, but just be alone with you. Let me walk with you, Jesus. Heavenly Father, Lord, my own eyes are closed. and Lord, you know every hand that's been raised, Lord, every heart that's represented, Lord. Forgive us, oh God, where we haven't put the right kind of value on your word. We haven't put the right kind of value, Lord Jesus, on the other side. Lord, we've put our treasure here and our treasure there. We've tried to have some kind of a diversified portfolio where we think it ought to be this and that and this and that. But Lord, help us to put all in you, Lord Jesus. That we put all our treasure in you, Lord, and know that moth and dirt can't corrupt that. You're everything to us, Lord. We love you, Lord Jesus. Lord, would you just make the words that are real, Lord. And Father, forgive me if I said anything of myself. I certainly didn't mean to. Lord Jesus, would you just make it real to our hearts and help us to consecrate ourselves once more. Lord Jesus, that we were looking, Lord, we're standing at the end of time. That the angel came down, you came down with an open book and declared there'll be time no more. We're right on the brink, Lord Jesus. Father, let us consecrate our lives and get away from all the frivolous things of this world and just look to you, God, the author and finisher of our faith. We love you so much, Lord, we pray. Give us a love one for another, Lord. That we just be able to lift one another up. Just greet our brother and our sister, Lord, with a good handshake and a good greeting of warm love, Lord. And we know that there's a spirit that's kindred within ourselves. 
Lord Jesus, we just want more of you. More of you, Lord. We ask your mercies tonight. Be with us, Lord, when we go and in our homes and in our lives, Lord. May we have a real worship, Lord. A real submission to your Holy Spirit, Lord. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Amen. Beulah Land. We'll just sing that together. I'm kind of homesick for a country. I'm kind of homesick. Yeah. 